Welcome to Silence is Canceled. My name is Sid McGregor. I'm one of the co-founders of Way Through. Way Through is a nonprofit organization that opens doors to mental and emotional wellness. One of the ways we do that is by providing access to therapy for any and all who need it. So if you or someone you love is in need of help, please visit our website at waythrough.org. That's W-A-Y-T-H-R-U.org. And let us help you find your way through. Stigma against mental health is real. And one of the best ways to fight stigma is to tell real stories. Uh, Today we're talking about suicide, specifically its impact on our CEO and our co-founder, Andrew Syed. Uh, We're going to cover some sensitive topics today, so if you feel that you're in a space where this conversation might hurt more than help, uh, we would encourage you to reach out to someone who is safe or call the National Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Today I'm joined by all of our co-founders, Chris Williams and Jacqueline McHarris, are licensed therapists based in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Andrew Syed is a humanitarian and activist based in Golden, Colorado. He's also our CEO. So let's join the conversation. All right. Uh, yeah. So this is uh, Sid here with uh, A Way Through, and we're, I'm here with all of all of our co-founders. I'm, I'm, we've got Andrew, we've got Jackie, we've got Chris. And uh, today we are talking about suicide, uh, not the happiest of, of topics, but we're in the mental health field. And so we have to talk about things that sometimes are uh, not as comfortable. And um, but one of the but, but I do want to back up a bit. And on this particular day last year uh, is a kind of an important day uh, for our organization. And that it's the day that that all of the dots finally connected. And I'm going to let Andrew and Chris sort of share that story because uh, this is uh, this is kind of a sort of a important day for us. Um, I don't know who wants to start, uh, but maybe Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Sid. Um, yeah, a year ago, uh, I woke up uh, and somewhere on one of my social media feeds was a post by a friend of mine from the UK uh, about suicide awareness day, suicide prevention day. And, and it was an awareness to me that that was an actual day. And uh, because this has been an issue in my life, I decided to, uh, to post something as well. And so I recorded a short video, I don't know, three or four minutes and literally just put it on Facebook uh, as a little story about my own experience and what I was thinking about in this arena my own experience personally, as well as through a couple of friends of mine. And I put it out there. And as we do on Facebook posts, you just put it out there and then you go about your day. And sometime later in the day, uh, my phone rings and I look down and it says Chris Williams. Uh, Chris and I are friends from way back. I don't know, 10, 15 years. We've been in touch very briefly during that decade, decade and a half, because he moved out to California. And I was, and I know what he does for a living. So I was like, oh, I know what he's calling about. <laughs> but little did I really know what he was calling about. I really didn't know. And so Chris can jump in here, but that's my side is I literally just made a post on, on Facebook about this day. Yeah. So simultaneously or, or kind of parallel here in California, you know, Jackie and I really engaged in conversations, um, after the George Floyd incident, 
And what I was seeing around me, um, including in my own practice, you know, the, um, the black female that works uh, with me at my practice, she was really, really hit hard. It seemed harder here in, in that particular moment than the others, but they're all, but I think it's accumulation. And as I was checking in and, and with other people and um, also realizing that as a white middle-aged male that I, I had a lot to earn, learn, but I had a lot to um, engage with. And Jackie and I called up Jackie and we, we began to have a, a more honest conversation and we recorded the conversation and, and we, we put it online because, and we really, again, had no expectation, but it really kind of for our uh, influence, I'll say it really took off. And, but it was also healing, I think for both of us personally, but what we're, but what we are also seeing is just people acting out their pain over and over and over again. And we're just thinking like, we, we need to have these really important conversations, but we also need to help people. Jackie and I began these conversations, including a, uh, a soft launch of a podcast. Um, but we realized that we didn't want to just have a podcast, have a podcast. We, we wanted it to have a greater purpose. And that purpose really was to connect people to mental and emotional wellness, healing resources that they didn't currently have access to. And so when I saw your video, Andrew, and, and it dawned on me, I'm like, wait a second, Andrew has started and run a nonprofit. He can probably give a little bit of guidance on how to do a nonprofit, you know, and, and that's kind of where, where it all started. Yeah. That's, that's, it's just amazing that, you know, after all these years, it's just that that can happen. And then it's also just nice to hear that sometimes social media can have good things happen out of it. Right. <laughs> there's some, there's some nice things there. Um, so because this is the first episode of, of, of our collective silence is, is canceled. Um, Jackie, I would like, I, I would love it if you could, could dive into that name for us a bit and could help us wrap our mind around what it is that we're doing here today. Why is silence canceled? Yeah, thanks, it. Yeah. When Chris and I had those conversations, we, as he said, we were honest. We were, um, it was healing. We went, we dug into some of our personal stuff and we talked about how things are in the world and, and just humanity, humanity as a whole and the struggles that we were having with just communicating. And so we thought if we could have other people get to hear other people's stories, right? We could have maybe a kid from Watts and a kid from Coda de Casa telling the story of their life and we see the similarities and the differences and so that we can just get more comfortable with our differences and with hearing from someone who has a different perspective than we do. And I really believe that part of our struggle in the world is that we have silenced our emotions. We have been conditioned to not talk about the hard things, to shove it down. It's going to be okay. Um, you're fine. And, and we're lying. We are silent. We're silent to the things that are really killing us mentally and emotionally, as well as physically. We don't talk about the trauma. We don't talk about the pain. We don't talk about the anxiety and the depression. There is so much stigma around those things that we're silent about it. And so one of my phrases after the George Floyd murder was, silence is canceled. I'm no longer willing 
to sit quietly in my discomfort to make you comfortable. Because I realized that I was really upset with some of my friends, like Chris, my white friends who hadn't done anything to change this situation. We keep talking about cops killing black people because they can. We keep talking about the problems in inner city schools. We talk about the problems with poverty and violence and addiction, but we haven't done anything to change the problems. And I was frustrated about that. And then I heard in my head something that I say to my couples, you can't be mad at them for not meeting your need if you never shared your need with them. And part of the not sharing my need or my hurt or the challenges that I'm facing is that we have been conditioned to keep that stuff to ourselves. It is politically incorrect to share your pain publicly. We don't air our dirty laundry. And that is why I think we're in the situation we're in as human beings, because we've been told to keep it to ourselves, told to keep quiet. And while we might not be verbalizing it, we are acting it out and blowing our trauma all over everyone else. Yeah. And that's, and, and that really brings us to kind of why even your original sort of podcast, you kind of stopped it because it was like, we needed a solution. Like we, it's like, we can't even, we can't just talk about it. Like we have to be able to, uh, to help people. And so here we are, uh, a way through is here. Um, if you are watching this or, or listening to this today and you are, because uh, today we're, we're, we're talking about, um, suicide and maybe you clicked on this because you're in a space and you need some help. Uh, please, please, uh, uh, Find that help, <laughs> uh, please. Uh, the uh, you, you can call the the National Suicide uh, Prevention Line, which is I'm just going to say it is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. If you're watching this, I will put it on the screen. Uh, please call that number if you need help right now. I just want to throw that out there. Um, so today we're going to have, we're going to talk about suicide and this conversation is probably going to get pretty real. So if you're listening and that's going to be a trigger for you, we just want to throw that out there. Um, but we also want to help, uh, one of our values at, at a way through is, is, is really safe spaces and, and telling real stories in those safe spaces. And one of the reasons Andrew posted, uh, about suicide prevention or about, yeah, is because he was there. And uh, so we just want to have a, a conversation uh, about that today, uh, just to gain some uh, perspective on uh, from from his end of, of, of what that was like. And maybe that can help us out um, for sure. So, Andrew, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about about um, how you how you found yourself in that in that space? Yeah, thanks. Um <clears throat> I've been thinking about this. Uh, obviously, we've been thinking about this conversation, and and I've had people like assume that it's easy to tell my story, like because I'm kind of a vulnerable guy. I, I do public speaking. I'm used to being in front of a camera, but even as I sort of contemplate and think back, it, it is really difficult to to uh, go back, if you will, and 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 put myself mentally and emotionally in, in those spaces where I was about five or six years ago. Um, and maybe even a little bit longer before that, I remember the first time I thought about suicide, not the first time, but the first time I was like, huh, what would it be like to not be here anymore to have that sort of suicidal ideation? I was sitting in my garage and I was just going through stuff, you know, loss of job, marriage was struggling, 
you know, kids are being kids, just life, right? And bills. And and I just was like, what is this strange thought, this strange feeling uh, with me, you know, that I could do this and this and not have to deal with any of this anymore. And I didn't really do anything with that feeling um, at all. I certainly obviously didn't uh, act on it, but I also didn't talk to anybody about it. Um, I think I remember later mentioning it to my wife at the time and her not being quite sure what to do with it, but, but listening, uh, but also, and this isn't on her, this, is, I think all of us not really recognizing and me not recognizing myself, the depth of what I was dealing with. And it wasn't surface stuff. Now that I look back, it was much deeper, but several, several years later, or a few years later, um, I, uh, without going into all the details, I'd pretty much lost everything, marriage, home, community, all, all kinds of stuff, career. And I, uh, was just in the full, in the full midst of, of what I now know were deep panic attacks and anxiety. And just my body was just in these spaces that I did not I did not understand what was happening. And I literally, and I mean, this is not an exaggeration. I did not sleep for 10 days. Like I was awake uh, and I would be laying on a couch. I was staying at a friend of mine's on a, on a sofa at night. And literally almost every night I was up and I was calling those numbers that you just mentioned. I was calling Caroline's just to reach out and talk to somebody. And, and uh, I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything. Uh, but every night and then finally on a Friday night, <laughs> I, I remember telling my friend that I was staying with, I was like, I can't do this another night. I was fearful of the night. I was fearful of that space and I was fearful of hurting myself. It sounds very irrational, I know, but I would be laying there in my sleeping bag on my sofa, on the sofa going, if I wasn't so comfortable and cozy here, I would get up and kill myself. I know that doesn't make sense. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. I know, but, and I was my body. I, I mean, it was a physiological thing going on in me. It wasn't just, oh, I feel down. I don't feel like being here. I mean, I got two kids. I got things to do in life like we all do, but whatever it is, the pain, the, the, the pain, let's just call it that, was overwhelming and there was no way out. And the only way out I could think of was to just not be here anymore. And so somehow that evening, I i don't know how, Sid, how I did this, but I, I got in my, my, my car and I drove to the hospital and I walked into the emergency room. It was about seven or eight at night, I think. And I just walked up and said, Hey, I, I'm not doing well and I don't trust myself to not hurt myself. And they knew what to do, <laughs> you know, and I was ushered back into a room and, and, you know, checked out. And, um, and I just remember laying on the bed there and I knew I was safe. And that was very helpful, but it was also strange to know that I was safe from myself. Um, and, uh, yeah, that night, um, 
I spent there as a psychiatrist or somebody on call came in and asked me a bunch of questions and told me, yeah, you're having panic attacks. And I was like, no, nah, I don't have panic attacks. <laughs> Other people have panic attacks. My mom has panic attacks. I don't have panic attacks. Right. Um, but, uh, he gave me some breathing exercises to do and, and whatnot. And, um, and then two days later I found myself in a trauma treatment center in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where, uh, where I would take a real deep dive into what was going on in my body and my brain at that point in my life. So, but that's, um, that is that week. There was a lot of things leading up to that, but ultimately that week and that night, um, I, I was so bad off. I, I did not trust myself to, to not do something very, not only harmful to myself, obviously, but to, to my loved ones as well. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, uh, thank you for, for sharing that, that, um, journey. It sounds, it sounds a lot, <laughs> uh, to, to put it, um, lightly. Um, a couple of questions that, that come to, to my mind, uh, that I'm just curious about, um, so th this was essentially you're saying it was about a, a six year journey from your first thought to to finding yourself in the in the hospital. Is that is that is that is that right? No, it was more like um, maybe a two year journey from that moment when I was in my garage. There are certainly things before then. I've always kind of been a moody person, and I've probably struggled more with depression than I have realized in the past. And and those kind of things. But as far as the actual contemplation of suicide, that it was probably two years, two or three years from that first moment to then the actual night where I found myself in an ER. Yeah. And then was, was it like a, a reoccurring thought once you had it the first time, or was it something that was pretty spread out and then came and hit you all of a sudden later? Um, I would imagine I had that thought at different times, but really that week that I've described is really when it came on full force. Like that was my real contemplation. That's when I began to think about more than just ideation, but what would be my plan? How would I do this? How can I do it where I don't hurt, you know, physically? Um, how can I do this where someone that I love won't, be the one to find me. I mean, oddly, I mean, these are twisted thoughts. I know as I say them, but that week is when I was like, I can't be here anymore. I cannot do this anymore. And, and Andrew, you, you're, you're describing the progression. Um, pretty, what we commonly see is like, there's a thought, there's like a random thought that comes into mind. And then there it progresses into more of what we call ideation, which is just a fancy word to say that the thoughts just keep coming and they sort of just grow over time in frequency and intensity um, until they start when it starts activating into an actual plan, then we're in then we're in a pretty big crisis mode. I mean, it's a crisis all the way through. 
you know, but the imminent crisis is, is when the plan starts formulating. But we're talking about like what's going on in the mind. It's really hard to, uh, for those who have not experienced that, to know w- what that's like. But I also want to talk what's going on in your body. What's happening between your chin and your belly button through this process? Yeah. Um, <laughs> these aren't just thoughts. It is a full-on bodily experience of deep panic. Like that's the only word I know how to really describe it. Like as if you're on a a sinking ship or a plane that's going down or some sort of thing where you have no control, right? And you're going to die. And so whatever happens in our bodies, like I, I, the, the, the tightness in my chest, the, 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 the pain in my abdomen, the, all of my uh, muscles and, uh, you know, legs, just, just the complete and utter helplessness over any feeling, literal feeling that I had throughout my body. And I'll still these days can experience some of that, but now I have some tools, but it's still very, very um, uh, debilitating and nothing that I could think of would take those that experience, you know, you can't just take some ibuprofen or whatever, like a headache or something, you know, and, um, yeah. And I don't know how to describe it, Chris. It just, just is an utter full body experience. And, and then obviously the cumulative experience of not sleeping for a night, two nights, three nights, four nights, you just start going insane and like literally, and, and then, like, I remember thinking to myself and almost comically, like, I was like, I was driving somewhere. I was like, I am not a functioning member of society right now. You know, like, I'm like, I am just taking up space and like, you know, I have a master's degree. I have traveled the world. I have this family. I, I coach. I do all these things that, that demand professionalism, right? And presence. And here I am. I cannot even control anything that is going on. And I am sure if I looked in the mirror or anyone saw me from the outside, they would just see Andrew, the guy they knew. And inside, I mean, if if there was a way to open this up, it was a complete internal war zone. And having worked in, in conflict zones and war zones around the world in my humanitarian world, you know, where there's destructive buildings and infrastructure, that's what it felt like on the inside. And, and I don't feel like I'm describing that well, cause it's really hard to describe. No, but, but I think that imagery is really important, you know? Yeah. Jackie, what were you saying? I was just saying, I think you did a pretty good job. Yeah. I agree with you, Chris, that imagery is really important. I'm curious, Andrew, what do you feel right now? bringing it back up, you know, Sid mentioned this is going to be a tough conversation and maybe triggering for some people out there listening. It's your experience you're reliving. And sometimes we can have an in vivo experience where we get right back in that space. And I think to be able to describe it as in as much detail as you are describing it has to activate some things inside of you. Yes. How are you feeling right now? It's interesting because one, there's a little bit of disbelief. Like I'm like, was I really that bad off or was I just kind of like not having a good week? <laughs> right. Um, and, um, there is a bit of like, wow, like that lived 
and lives in me. Like I better take care of myself because for whatever, and I know we'll talk about these things in future episodes, but for whatever traumatic reasons inside of me personally, uh, that capacity and capability exists within me. And, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to not only do that, but I don't want to be in that space again. And, and so as I'm talking one, there is a little bit of like disbelief. Um, the same way I think we, we, it's hard for us to really believe someone we see on the outside, like, Oh, that person's, they got their stuff together. Right? We just see the outside, you know? And, and I think for maybe people that know me that will listen to this, will be like, really? Like Andrew, like, yeah, I was in that space. And, um, so the, the disbelief, the recognition that I, I need to be proactive in, in my self care and probably even after this episode, do some good things for myself, and also recognize that um, uh, even though there are good things going on in my life, you know what? There were good things in my life five, six years ago as well. There was a lot of hurt as well. But that doesn't compensate or, or replace the real pain and the real anxiety that I was going through and that we continue to go through. You know, I think sometimes we like, Hey, just be positive, look around you. And, and that's, those are important things, but I think we forget and don't realize what might be going on on the inside, um, with people. And, um, so grat well, gratitude, uh, gratitude. I'm think sorry, Chris. I was going to say, but I, I think that that's really important to emphasize here because, that's where it's easy to get fooled on these things is that there is a vast difference between our internal condition and our external appearance. And so, and how things look like or go like, and, the, and, and what, and some of that is what we value. You know, we value the resume, we value the stuff, the things, the accolades, the, but sometimes we we're not valuing our internal conditions. You know, I say, it's like, if I have this nice car, um, or maybe the car's run down a little bit and my something's wrong with a carburetor and I go out and give it a paint job and everyone admires the paint job and I expect to drive it around like it's normal. I'm like, that's not going to work. There's something on the inside that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And, and um, for me, I, I uh, had gone years without really addressing what was on the inside. And part of that is really a struggle because I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. And that's the challenge in this field, isn't it? We didn't, we don't know until it's almost too late. Well, and that's why silence is canceled <laughs> because so many people don't know, right? Because we're not talking about it. And that's why we're being courageous and sharing our stories. And so Andrew, thank you for leading from the front and sharing your story with such honesty, such courageous honesty, relentlessly being hopeful about the future for other people, for yourself. Um, but having this mindful awareness of that lives in me while it's not controlling me, that is an experience I, I can't ignore. And by not ignoring it, you continue to take care of yourself, keep people around you. What are some of the things that you have, that you feel work to help keep you steady? Or what do you do? to cope now when you find yourself starting to spiral down into that darkened space? Um, 
Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, one, there, there has to be a lot of, for me, proactivity before a potential spiral. So I try to take care of my body and, and, and eat right as well. So physical activity for me is important. Exercise, um, uh, and, and doing the best I can eating wise. Um, I, I've learned and I don't know all the science, but I've learned that, you know, just the, the vitamins and different supplements to just brain health, you know, is important, uh, for me, um, physical activity also living with purpose, you know, for me, it's important to, um, to be myself and um, I'm a humanitarian by background and uh, a musician. I also coach high school soccer and those things are not just like activities for me. They are uh, the story of my life. And, and as I'm giving into those things, I am continually then receiving as well. You know, they, there is an, an energy that goes out obviously and they are work, but those are important. And, um, uh, just um, breathing exercises are really important. Uh, I, I cannot say I do those religiously, but uh, I need to. Meditation is something I need to really work on uh, as well. But that practice, as sporadic as it is in my life, is important for me to just sort of stop, ground myself, uh, breathe, and, and and just sort of repeat some mantras to myself like, the thing with, with um, trauma and anxiety and these things is our bodies are telling us that we're in some imminent danger and we're not, right? And, and what I've learned, and this is really difficult, and you, you two could speak to this from a professional perspective, but our body in some way is reliving something from the, the way past that we may not even remember or connect in that moment. And, and there's no way out of that. And so I have to, I, I repeat some, a, a version of like, in a moment, I'm safe, I'm strong, and I'm secure. I'm safe, I'm strong, I'm secure. And I will maybe for 15, 20 minutes, just whether I'm driving, sitting in my living room, uh, whatever. And so those are some of the proactive ways I, I deal with stuff. And then um, the name of this is silence is canceled. I talk about it, you know, like you two, you know, obviously we're friends now and, and I say, Hey, I'm not doing well. And, and, um, so connecting with community is vital and community that will listen and not freak out and not just say, you know what, you need to get over it. Your life's great. I know my life's good. I really do. It's not the well, point. And, and let, me <laughs> let me jump in with that because I think I think you 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 gave us a ton there that that I want to kind of pause and and emphasize, especially for the people that are listening. And in health, in in our brain health, our internal health is really important. You mentioned that taking care of our bodies, you know, through a diet, through exercise, taking care of our minds through breathing and meditation, and really taking care of our souls through connection and, and how vital that is. But you also mentioned, and, and those really need to be emphasized in, in our way forward and our way through. With that said, you'd mentioned trauma, Andrew, like 
so the question is, how do you go from being, you know, being well-respected in the humanitarian field, tons of opportunities, um, running a nonprofit, uh, being well-respected in academia, having a, a family, a thriving family, all of that to like looking back now, you say like, Hey, I had all of this. this, all of these things were true and real. And then this, what was the in-between? What, what have you discovered is in that space? Mm. <laughs> um, I don't understand this to be blunt, but what I believe and I have to be careful with this because in, in that in-between was self-destructive behavior. Like I think Jackie said this earlier, our trauma explodes all over everyone else. And um, I, I hurt some very dear people, my wife, my kids, you know, my community. And was very much functioning outside of what you just described, Chris, you know, the humanitarian career, the family. I, I, I lived with a lot of integrity and character and strength of character and, and belief in myself and, and belief in what I was doing. And, and I can look back with integrity and go, yeah, I was, I was that guy, strong husband, father, member of the community, you know, con contributor to, to good in the world. What I was told um, when I went to treatment after a two-day assessment was they, they said it kind of like this, like, wow, you're, we're really impressed with your life, but if everything you've said about your childhood is true, your trauma has caught up with you. And uh, you were a ticking time bomb. And that was very, very hard to receive because I was like, you know, if I wouldn't have done this and this, I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't be struggling with this, you know? Yeah, if I could change one or two decisions, yeah, yeah. all of this would be and different. And what they yeah. were like, no, nah, man, like we're opening you up and what we're seeing is a wasteland, uh, you know, and and no coping skills and and deep fear and deep distrust in anyone and everything and a traumatic landscape. And now we got to get to work because if you don't get to work, you're not going to survive. And so the hard part of this, the, the, I heard someone say this. I think it was the, the actor Will Smith said, look, our trauma, our childhood trauma, it's not our fault. But it is our responsibility as adults. And this is where I've sort of landed. The stuff that happened to me as a kid. Um, it's not my fault it's not my fault I carry the shame I carry the guilt I don't understand why you guys probably have some some science behind that but but I do um, but it's not my fault but it is as an adult my responsibility then to deal with it so that I can break the cycle and live a healthy whole life that still as a as a uh, as a humanitarian and someone who's worked on social justice issues, my life still feels very unfair, <laughs> right? Like really like my childhood was stolen from all this stuff, but now my adulthood is stolen as well because it comes back and it, and it, and it manifests itself, especially, especially in our romantic relationships, our partnerships. And that was true in my marriage. And that's been true in my dating life, uh, post-marriage. 
Um, and, um, but it is my responsibility. So I, I, I don't want to push this off as an excuse for self-destructive behavior. And because I won't, but that is my story. And that, from what I understand, from what I've read and, and, and exposed myself to is part of the scientific uh, consensus, understanding, limited, all that it may be, is that, yeah, if you, there's the reason we have the ACE quiz, right? Like if you go through these things, there are likelihoods of really negative consequences. And that's not because we're bad people. Um, it just speaks to the value and the strength and the power of a positive, loving, nurturing, and this keyword safe childhood. And I didn't have any of those. I didn't have any of those. Sorry. Go ahead, Sid. Yeah. From a, so from a sort of observer perspective, if you will, um, what, a lot of people obviously won't know because they don't know us is that Andrew and I have known each other for like 30 years. Right. Uh, and so when Andrew, when you're describing how, how people viewed you, I mean, I can attest to that firsthand, right. Um, you know, I, I, I would look up, this is just very real. Um, I mean, you know, you were some somebody and still are not that that's stopped, <laughs> um, but somebody that I looked up to um, constantly since we met, I was, I think I was 15. No, I was younger than that. How, how old was I? I don't know. Late middle I was, school, maybe. Yeah, I was, it was before. I was maybe 10, 10 or 11 when I first met Andrew and um, the myriad of things that I've done because of his influence are too fast for this conversation. But, um, and then, you know, um, moved to Colorado, did life with his family for years and uh, would have never, even around him during some of this time would have never, like I would have never seen it and didn't see it. Um, and I don't even know, even if I knew what I was looking for, I don't know if I would have seen it. And I, I, I guess one of my questions to sort of throw back to, 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 to Jackie and Chris here is, I mean, obviously uh, like we've got, there's people everywhere struggling with, with the very similar things and going through very similar circumstances. And while I don't understand how Andrew could stay awake for 10 days and not, you know, and, and not know that he's loved and needed uh, in life. Um, how do I, uh, like how, how do we, do we see that? No, not really. How do we, but like, if I've got somebody here and they're like, 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 let's make this practical. How, how can we help? How do we see it? And yeah. what, you know, um, you know, like, uh, what, what do we look I mean, for? Andrew did reach out, 
a little bit, you know, he, he yeah. did mention, Hey, I mm -hmm. had this thought. So if somebody says that to me, obviously that's like, that should be a massive trigger and what, or at least, you know, I'm not using that trigger in a bad sense, but that should be a, a very like, Hey, I'm having, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a flashing yeah, light, right? Like, it's a like, okay. Hey, a warning sign. Here's yeah. what's going on. Even if I look at this person and I, and I don't believe them, like there's no way you're having this thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing we do is we take it seriously. And again, you know, the the thought of suicide to actually doing it, it it's that gap is different or, or that spectrum is different for each person. Um, but the thought itself is a feedback mechanism that just says something's off, something's wrong, something's not going right. For, for some people, it feels like a self-willed thought. And what I mean by that, it comes from them. You know, like I'm in pain. I just wish I wasn't here. There's other people that will experience it, that it will be like something they feel like visits upon them. They're like, wait, wait, where did that come from? And it's like, no matter where it comes from, it's still a feedback mechanism that is telling us that something is off. We've got to pay attention to it. So what's really difficult about that, about this answer, Sid, is that, and this speaks to what you said earlier, Jackie, is that the rest of us can't see or hear what's going on on the inside of you in which we can't see or hear it. And so the, it creates this bigger conversation around silence is canceled, and that is, can we begin to have conversations about our internal worlds? And, and, it's, and it sounds easy, but a lot of times our internal worlds, especially if we didn't grow up in environments where we talked about it, is a foreign language. We don't have the words. And oftentimes, you know, even in my therapy office, I, use, I help clients form metaphors. You know, Andrew talked about a war zone. Now, now he has the language. Now it's a native tongue, which it felt like a foreign tongue before. And so how do we have those conversations and then get people to the right places that they need help? On a lot of times where people are resistant, right? And this is where stigma comes in. I'm resistant because if I have a suicidal thought and go see a therapist or a psychiatrist, it means I'm crazy. Now, uh, this is a little bit of my soapbox, but if we have that moniker, that label that to have a mental problem or struggle means that you're crazy. We're now piling on a life threatening label. It's deadly because a person isn't crazy. You know, I joked around like, you know, someone was joking with me around Christmas time and you know, it's that, that weird family member. It's just like, Hey, what's it like to see crazy people all day? And to which I replied to them, I have no idea. I've never seen a crazy person in my entire life. And in my practice, yeah, I've seen people with schizophrenia and schizoid effective, like, like really high-end mental health struggles. But a crazy person has a problem and doesn't do anything about it. A healthy person, that's insanity, exactly. A sane person says, hey, there is a problem here and we're going to do something about it. I am so unbelievably grateful i from the bottom of my soul that there was something in andrew that got his butt off that couch and into medical care i don't know what that was and 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 we are all 
benefactors of whatever that thing was that got help, including calling the phone lines, including, and, and I think there's, a, again, a lot of factors involved in that, but whatever that is, for the rest of us observing it, it's being able to normalize the experience. It's being able to empathize with the experience. Even if I don't know exactly what that's like, I can be with you in that experience and, and kind of guide through for, for those of us who've been in therapy. We can talk about, man, here's the benefits of it. Why don't you call this? Why don't you just check it out one time and see how it goes? But again, it's, we can't make people do certain things. But man, we can really, really help pay attention to the dashboard where the lights are flashing and say, hey, you know, this talk about a very common word, I just don't want to be here anymore. It doesn't necessarily mean someone's suicidal, but man, that's a very serious statement we got to pay attention to. And I would say for those who are observing who don't know what to do with that statement of, I, I just don't want to be here anymore. So the response might be something maybe unintentionally shaming. Oh, but your life is great. You shouldn't feel that. At least you have this and at least you have that. And well, what about this? That's, you know, that's a selfish thought. And all the things that we say that are self-protective, right? That person is feeling terrified by what you just said, because what you just said encompasses your terror and you just shared it with somebody else. So if I'm the person hearing that, what I have to do now is take care of myself for a minute, compartmentalize the fear that I'm feeling and use that as information that helps me understand what the other person is going through. How do we empathize for people who aren't mm, typically very empathetic or don't really understand where, where empathy comes from? It's into me see, right? So I am now seeing into this other person. So if they come to you with, I just don't want to be here anymore, and that terrifies you, now you know what they're feeling. So rather than try to shut them down because you don't like feeling this way, push that to the side and understand that they've come to you, you must be a safe person. Or maybe you're not a safe person, but you're the only person that's there right now. Ask them the hard question. Are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about suicide? Are you planning some way of not being here? Stay in the conversation. They came to you with, hey, this hurts. Here's my problem. Let's stay with them in it. Empathize with how terrifying it feels and start talking about solutions. Maybe you pull up that phone number and say, let's make this call. Maybe, as Chris said, you've been in therapy before and you can say, hey, I have a therapist friend. Let me give you their number. Let's give them a call. What we do as therapists, if someone in our office says that to us, that is a time when we are now going to start talking to other people about what's happening in the room, which we don't typically do. But I'm going to make a call and I'm going to hold your hand until we get you to someplace safe. I've had that happen with friends of mine as well. I was a nurse before I was a therapist. And so I've gotten the call from someone who says that they just want to die and that, you know, weird things are happening and they're seeing things. And I say, okay, let's go. Get in the car. We're going to UCI. And that, that's what I we're going to um, do. Just as if, you know, a physical part of our body was in a very strange pain that we didn't recognize. And we're like, man, I need to go to the urgent care, to the ER, or call an appointment, whatever the, the, the level might be. 
I think we have to start recognizing if that's in us, like, okay, this is not, this is abnormal, you know, because what you said, yeah, but what you said, like, if someone would say to me, Andrew, your life's good, you got all these things, I know, I know that's the problem <laughs> because how does this exist? And yet I feel, and it is literally, it's not just a, like I've said to people, like depression is not a feeling. It's a state of being, right? But we, we've, we've categorized these things. It just get up, feel better, you know, or pick yourselves up and just gut it out. And there was no way that week and in the weeks leading, maybe in the weeks leading up to that and certainly after that I was any, any way functional professionally, personally, anything I was doing was literally um, – survival um and uh yeah so i know that i have people in my life who care about me i know i know i know i have things to be grateful for and i am grateful for them and those things do help sort of anchor you a little bit but they're not enough in and of themselves to prevent this i think very real physiological condition of of, of of what what i've been diagnosed with is complex post-traumatic stress disorder and and um and so just like if i had diabetes or or some sort of you know chronic you know condition that i would need to monitor and take care of i have to do that i don't like it i wish i didn't have it but um that's just reality and and um and it is hard to talk about it because like what you said, Chris, like there is still, even in 2021, this stigma of crazy, a little off, you know, or moody, even that people have been calling me moody my yeah. whole life. It's like, yeah. Dramatic, yeah, you like, know, yeah, too sensitive. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we too much negative too much <laughs> place. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. Not enough. You know? And, yeah. and, and I, I want to be careful with people in my life with those terms and, and recognize that, man, we all are bringing stories to the table and living out the, the consequences of those stories. And, and, um, and that's why I do a lot of the work I do now I'm, myself is I want my, the story of my kids to be, is the word better? I don't know. They're going to have their own stuff to deal with, but that they know that this is okay to, to struggle with these things and they have my DNA and they have my, my blood and, and their kids and, and on and on. Um, and so for me, it. Yeah. So you can pass down wellness instead of continuing to pass down. Absolutely. Trauma that's just evolving. Because that's new, what was you know, passed down this to new me. Decade. And I have a choice, you know, Break the cycle or continue the cycle. It's a black and white choice. And I think that this is important. Is like we can't prevent all the problems that our kids are going to occur throughout. You know, pain honestly is our entrance fee into planet Earth, whether we like it or not. You know, and so it's going to have its effect. But one of the things I want for my kids is, and from obviously for myself, is like in the midst of your problems and your struggles, there is a solution. No matter what you're going through, I want you to know that there's a pathway to the solution. 
And so it's not prevention from all the pain. Of course, we're going to make it as safe and, and, and vibrant as we possibly can for them to flourish. But again, we're powerless against the forces on planet Earth, including the stuff that's in some of the stuff inside of us called DNA. But again, we can do something about it. And the solution sometimes for the person in deep despair looks like ending it. Like that, for some people, feels like the only thing you can do. And um, a phrase that I use um, is give tomorrow a chance. Right? If, if you give, just give, give tomorrow a chance. And then tomorrow, because one of the things I've been told by the people I work with, is it's sometimes it's in this moment that is just too terrible. And if you can get past that moment that's just too terrible to even live anymore, then maybe we can do some of the things, use some of the resources. But in that moment, nothing matters. In that moment, none of the resources make any sense. In that moment, it's just too hard. And the only solution is to make it all stop. And sometimes you can make it all stop by taking a nap or going to sleep. So if it's make it all stop, I want them to make it all stop by moving, by making a call by going for a walk, right? You, there's something has to happen in that moment. And then we can start to look for solutions. What is going to be the long-term Can I um answer to this challenge? Can I, yes. like, to sort of bring this full circle a bit, since treatment, since my moment in the ER, life has not been easy, <laughs> you know, but these are some of the experiences I got to spend four months in Europe uh, traveling to Prague and Spain and Germany and England, where I'm from. Just recently, I went with a dear friend to Iceland and we traveled around the whole island and saw amazing, saw a volcano and, and um, waterfalls and just the beauty of the earth. I've gotten to spend moments with my boys, my, my, my sons and watching them live their life and, and go to college. And, and my older son is in a committed deep relationship with an amazing young woman. And, um, I've got to rebuild, if you will, a friendship with my ex-wife and, and, and nurture that and, and just feel, if you will, her grace and mercy to me. You know, we're not married, but but I know that she wants the best for me and supports me. And, and I've met amazing people. And we together have started an organization that has not only helping people, but also just a whole lot of fun to work with this team, you know, and, and I've written songs and, and I know Sid and I played live out in LA together and life has been, I've coached soccer teams here at a high school and, have not lost very much. And that's always fun. And uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, what you say is give tomorrow a chance. It doesn't make it going to be easy. There's still life and there's still pain and heartache and breakups and, and struggle and heartbreak, but there's so much good and so much to, to live with the people that love us and, and we love. And, um, uh, and so, in those moments, it's almost, if not completely impossible to see and feel and know, but, um, they are there. And, um, even, you know, this last week has been a difficult week, but 
I know that tomorrow is another day and good things are coming, not because I'm promised good things, but, but just because I'm doing my work. And, and um, yeah, so the solution, talking to people, getting the help, taking those risks, um, surrounding yourself with people who listen and empathize and putting up boundaries with people that don't. There are lots of ways to kill ourselves. Uh, you know, alcohol, drugs, you know, all kinds of addictions. Um, even in humanitarian world, like I'd see a lot of people just dive into war zones to work. Uh, and they weren't really working. They were running. And, um, so I don't know, we had a way through, we just, we want people to uh, connect with the real life and recognize that they can get some help. They, they can find uh, health and healing from the catastrophic things. Let's be real. That may have happened to them earlier in their life. So, yeah. 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 Thank you for that, Andrew. It's so important. We want people to hear these stories because like you said, in that moment, you cannot see tomorrow. You can't see the, four months traveling the world and the going to Iceland and look at my kids and how great they're doing. You can't fathom that that exists and it's going to feel good because right now nothing feels good, but maybe hearing the story, right? Hearing someone share that can be what someone can hold on to in that moment till they can get to their tomorrow. And, and just to, to, to close it out from my perspective, what I've been thinking about is uh, the psychiatrist, uh, Victor Frankel, who survived Nazi concentration camps only to start this thing called logotherapy and um, went to Vienna with one of the highest suicide rates in a hospital in the world and got it down to like zero. Um, but his whole premise is helping people find meaning, that which is meaningful. And I think that one of the, the most heart-wrenching things about some some of the stories of suicide and suicidality is they've lost the meaning. And so give meaning a chance. You matter. And, and by the way, you don't get the option. You're going to matter one way or the other. And so as you were saying, Andrew, give therapy a chance, give wellness a chance, give hard conversations a chance, give it a chance because it's worth it. And, and the meaning is worth it. And when you find that, which is meaningful, life takes on new meaning and, and it just, it really changes the way we see ourselves, see others and see the world around us. And I just want to piggyback on that, Chris, if you're the person who is washing someone's meaning, stop, right? It's, I'm just joking. The, little jabs, the microaggressions, the, we don't realize how, what we say impacts people that old adage, uh, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. <laughs> such a lot. Yeah. Whoever said that liked <laughs> verbally Lived abusing people. Right, right, right. It's a defense. Right? What a defense mechanism. <laughs> that does yeah, that does not even make sense. And, and so we have to be kinder to people and we have to pay more attention to what we say to people. Um, hearing kids and, and teens tell someone, kill yourself. Why don't you just die? It's not funny. And it, it maybe leaves someone thinking they're not important. And sometimes parents 
tease their children and make fun of their children, either thinking they're making them tougher or thinking, oh, they know I love them. They know I don't mean that. And no, they know what you tell them. And if you are telling them that you think of them as ugly or worthless or too much or wishing they were never born or any of the things you may say out of your own pain, um, thinking that it won't stick, we're here to tell you it does stick. And so be mindful of what you put out into the world. Your words matter because it may be the thing that makes someone believe in themselves or makes someone not believe in themselves, not believe that they're worth anything. Just so often when people feel like they're worthless and they don't matter, it's because someone very important to them has told them so. So again, silence is canceled. We're not letting anybody off the hook. We're going to talk about all the real stuff Nobody's off and the how hook. we get yes. here. So we have Jackie. She will Nobody. not let us off the hook. That's right. Nobody's getting off the hook. We have got to do better by one another. We were created mm. for relationship. We heal in relationship. But man, sometimes it's in relationship where we get hurt yeah. the worst. Thank you for listening today. We hope you found value from this conversation and from Andrew's story. If you are in a position, if you are in a place where you need help immediately, please find that help. You matter. Your life matters. Uh, at A Way Through, we are in this movement to break stigma and around mental health and create access. There are three ways you can join us in doing that. First, if you need help, once again, please go to our website, waythrough.org, and click on Get help and let us help you get on that journey today. If you are a therapist, we have a provider network of verified top-notch therapists who are helping us provide that access to give help to the people who need it. Please go to our website and click give help and let's open these doors and create that access together. If you want to support us financially, you can gift help. You can make a donation and that donation will break stigma and it will create access and it will change someone's life. Silence is canceled. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.